Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, the Renault Dealer of the Year and most Google-reviewed dealership in Ireland. For award-winning customer service you can trust, visit us today. Blackstone Motors, drive with peace of mind. 041-983-1100. You're very welcome to Friday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Coming up on the show today, it is National Potato Day, so we're going to be talking about spuds a little bit later on. I pay a visit to uh, the beautiful Waterstones bookshop in Drogheda, uh, where we meet the children from sixth class in Cullen uh, National School, and they're talking to Rod Smith. He's written a book, a brilliant children's book, about Oliver Cromwell. You'll enjoy it, I promise you. And do they know their stuff, those young ones? And reminding you that the final in our series, Every Road Has a Cross to Bear, goes out today on Late Lunch after three o'clock. We've shone the light all this week on LMFM Radio on road safety, and my first guest today on the show have a story to tell. They'll never forget the 21st of October 2005, around 7.15pm in the evening. The Morris family's life changed forever. 18-year-old Ashling had just disembarked from a bus on her way home from an arts course in Dublin and was walking along a dark road when disaster struck. They're here with me today to tell their story and to talk about Ashling and the remarkable recovery she's made. I'm delighted to welcome to the show Ashling Morris and her mum, Doreen. Ladies, you're very welcome to Late Lunch. Good to see you both. Thank you very much for joining us. Ashling, I'll ask you this question again, and I did ask you when you came into the studio off mic a few moments ago. That time, 2005, I said to you, do you remember anything? No. Not a bit of it. Not a day of of, um, 2005. I don't remember anything about it. Of, of that whole year, even? It's all gone. It's a blur. All of it's gone. So when you were struck by the car on that night, that just wiped everything completely. Yep. So your mum's beside you. Doreen, welcome <laughs> to the show. Come in a little closer to that mic there for me, if you would. You, you're, she wasn't far from the house. No, just tell no. us what happened on that evening. Well, she was just she'd gotten off the bus. It was a miserable, wet, dark evening. She was crossing the road uh, to our gate, which which was which opened out onto the road, and she we were on a bad bend, and she was just the first thing we heard was that I I heard a noise. I thought two cars had crashed, and in fact it was the car I had hit Ashling. So that's how quickly it had happened. Had you any reflective gear? Or had she any reflective gear? She had. Gear? Uh, she did a reflective band on her left arm. She was a typical truculent eighteen-year-old teenager in dark clothes who wouldn't wear a reflector vest. And I have to 
say and um, emphasize that if Ashling had been wearing a reflective vest, she would not have had she would not have been hit by that car. That man would have been able this to see her. This wouldn't have happened. It would not have happened, and I'm I'm emphatic in that it would not have happened. So it was just on the wrong arm. Yes. She put it on that morning when she was waiting for the bus. Mm. I took out the arm, just took it back on again. And I, the only reason I know it was still on was because when I got the clothes back from the hospital where they had cut off her, her coat, the, the reflector band was still on the arm where they had cut off her coat. So I know she was still on. So her. a real message both of you want to get out today to everybody is, be and we've safe, been talking about be this. Seen. Yes, that, that, that campaign again, Ashley. Very yeah. important. My my dad wanted to dip me in um, reflective uh, paint. Paint. <laughs> paint. <laughs> I can understand, but yeah. we're saying that again today. The evenings are getting darker. The Absolutely. clock will be changing soon. You must light up, folks. And yeah. Yeah. you hear the message today coming from the Morrises. You were going for a walk with your wee dogs, was it? Well, I was going down. We we lived back from the road, so I normally would go down to the gate to meet her from the bus. And I was literally walking out the door with the two dogs to, on leashes to go down and meet her when I heard the bang. So obviously, I had to go back with the dogs. I didn't want them creating any more. Mm. mayhem so I just assumed when I heard I did hear her a kind of a gasp or a a squeal and I kind of thought it was Ashling had seen the accident and was frightened so obviously when we went down it was Ashling that had been hit by the car she had been shunted up the road and she was lying in the ditch and that's dark clothes are are cool yeah but it's better to be seen so always put a reflective jacket on you when you're going out yeah and you want to say that again when you saw her at the time did you think that she was gone? Well, no, I don't think your mind would allow you to think that. Mm. No, but she was she was uh, unconscious. She was breathing very, very heavily, and she was. My first action was because people were stopping was don't touch her, don't move her, leave her. And my second, it's funny. My second one was was anybody else hurt? You know, was everybody else in the, in the other car were they okay? And once I kind of once that was sorted, then it was just you, you kind of just go on to automatic. You know, mm. her, her dad was there too, ringing for the, the ambulance and just you know getting things sorted out. But um, you. You know, it was just it, it's hard to it's hard to explain because you well I'm I'm a practical sort of person so my the way I function is I have to be doing something to to get you know to get it I can't just sit and stand back and let it happen I was like okay we need to get this this and this done you know mm. so um, the ambulance came out from her from from uh, Navin and took her in and I have to say they probably saved her life because they immediately put her you know onto sedation or whatever that she needed and uh, stitched up any wounds and that that she had and then they got in touch with Beaumont and she went she was sent straight up to Beaumont. What there. were you told in the early days there, the early hours, the early oh, well, days? The early hours was, well, like, we were actually, they don't they don't kind of cushion it like, you know, it was you know, she was bad, she was very bad and, and they, and like when I walked the, the corridors that night waiting to see her even, uh, while they were uh, sorting her out, they told me that um, first of all, he told me, you know, she was very bad and I said, you know give me the odds and he he said I said, what, he said, the, the odds aren't great. And I said, well, please give me figures. He said, if I was a betting man, he said between 25 and 50 percent. God, that was on the low side, wasn't it? Very low. It was. That yeah. wouldn't have yeah. encouraged you. No. But this young no. woman is made of sterner stuff. That's Only the good day I'll live forever. <laughs> <laughs> Come back to you, Ashling, about this. You're in a coma, yes, at yep. this stage. Yes. For how long were we in a coma? Five weeks. Five weeks. Yeah. Do you remember coming out of the coma or waking up at all? Or what's your first memory that you realised, I'm alive, my mum is here, my family are here? Um, well, they kept asking me um, in Beaumont, um, what, what's your name? And um, what year is it? And I was like, I have no idea. I, I knew my name, but I didn't. You didn't actually. Hmm. Well, after a while, I knew It me. came back, yes, <laughs> yeah. it came back. And... Um, 
Did you recognise your mum or, or members I of the I recognise my mum, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ashton doesn't really, sorry for Buckingham, but Ashton doesn't really have any memories from Bowmount, or e- even f- to, for the rehab. A lot of the stuff that Ashton has in her head now is stuff that we that we spoke to her about. Yes. When Ashton came out of her coma first, she didn't know who she was, where she was, or what was going on. She was like an, a nine-month to, t- to twelve-month-old child. That was her capabilities. It's not like in the movies where they open their eyes and smile and they're back. Yeah. It was, you know, and Ashton was completely spastic. She couldn't move any of her, her limbs. She, she had a tube in her neck, which was doing the breathing for her she had a catheter which was emptying her bladder for her she was in napping she was she was like a nine-month-old baby mm. and she for some reason she actually always did recognize me uh, she, like she wouldn't smile when she saw me but um she didn't know anybody else or anything she didn't you know the first time we gave her um um a, a hairbrush she tried to brush her teeth with it she she had to uh, the section of Ashley's brain that was damaged we ha- she had didn't it was the one that recognized the right, the right side, side of her body mm. <laughs> so she her whole her her brain had to be retrained to recognize that she had a right side of her body and yeah. you don't wake up like and you were there and you were there you you you, no. uh, you, no. you mm. wake up idler had to swallow again idler had to blink again <laughs> idler had to do everything again yes, yes. Yeah. and breathe cuz the good breathing for me yes so it was a huge ask you, it was like oh, starting yeah. it was like you know what are you you're 18 years of age but it was like starting life again yeah. it's like having an 18 year old baby instead of an 18 year old teenager yes, yes. I say it again. Hasn't she done really well? <laughs> I think <since>? <laughs> she really has. Better than they, they never, they yeah. never gave us the, in the, in the hospital. They never gave us the hope that she would be this good. Mm. They really thought she was going to be a vegetable. vegetable. Yeah. They wanted to send her off to a nursing home and didn't even want to take her into the rehab. I had to fight. It took me five months to get her into rehab because they said she wouldn't be able to respond to the, to the therapies that they had there because she was too badly damaged. My oh my! So. Doesn't it just show you, and I've seen that many mm-hmm. times on this show with uh, family, uh, when health matters hit, you really have to dig in the heels, oh, don't you? Don't you want such loud to say yes, to yes, and My I, mother used to be mortified because my mother was from the generation where you have to listen to the doctors and she said, you can't talk to doctors like that. And I said, Mommy, this is my child. I'll talk to God Almighty himself mm. if it gets her sorted. So where did you go for rehab? She went to rehab. The, in Dunleary? In Dunleary, yeah. She did. And he actually uh, yeah. apologised to Mum. Um, saying that um, she did well yes. uh, to um, to get me in and yes. sorry that he, he thought I wouldn't go, go through it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. How long was Dunleary? How long did you spend there? About five months, I think. She was five months. She was spent five months in in the high dependency in in Beaumont. Then they took her. They they took her for two weeks, supposedly into Dunleary, and then they kept her for five months. Mm. Then I took her home for five months because she at that stage she was getting to the stage where she was she needed familiar stuff around her to to help her. Kind of, so we took her home for five months, and I brought her up twice a week for her therapies, and then um, she went back to them uh, to the RTU. The, the rehabilitative training unit there uh, as an inpatient for a, a week, weekly inpatient then t- uh, for another five months. Yeah. Can I just say, the rehab, the rehabilitative um, hospital, it's a godsend. Mm. It should be, um, should get lots more money uh, yes. into it. There should be one in every Bloomin' County. Well, yeah. you know, like, uh, that, that would be the wish, yeah. wouldn't it? But yeah. even if we had maybe another regional one in the south and the west. Even one in each province, you know. Each we province just province have one. Because that. there was people in there from Donegal, from Cork, from... And it was very tough to be away from home like that. You know, Ash, I, I always imagine Ashley did as well as she did because I was there. We were there with her every day. Every mm. day. Other poor devils, like, were there for months on end and never saw Nobody. family only at the odd weekend yeah. and stuff. It was and very sad. 
Yeah. Because I think with, with a brain injury, familiarity and uh, is, very, is very important. And you I do think become institutionalised. Mm. Yeah. But uh, Mum, you've put in a lot of work uh, oh, yourself did, yeah. with this woman. <laughs> you have indeed. And, and the progress, did, did the progress pick up or did it take time even beyond rehab? Oh, much more beyond rehab. Well, yeah. They told us when we were leaving rehab that, you know, she would plateau about 18 months after the accident and that we wouldn't see a huge improvement. Uh, physically, maybe, uh, well, even physically she's got stronger, but cognitively, uh, the last three years, huge, huge mm. improvement. Mm. She's always in for improvement. Yes, <laughs> that's, yeah. a, that's a very good saying, of <laughs> course. Say, so. uh, if, if you're going to, uh, if you think your memory's going or anything like that, um, get a Nintendo DS and get uh, the brain training games. Right. Yeah. Stimulation. Is stimulate your stimulate your brain, and it and it helps it. And that helps you enormously. Crossword yeah. puzzles. Crossword puzzles. Word, word searches. searches. All that. All, all that them. type of thing. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's working your brain. Mm. Yeah. I'll never take you on. I'm no good. <laughs> I'll leave you. I'll leave you at that yourself. <laughs> but but for you, you, you you've realised and you felt the progress, Ashling. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, and where you are today, you know, you get about. You're quite independent, aren't you? Yeah, well, I mean, I remember I was, um, just when I came home from hospital, I was thinking, right, you can go mad and think, why me? Hmm. Or you can just get on with life and have a laugh. I was mad enough already. Didn't just get any worse. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, we moved into Navan three years ago uh, mm. because Ashley won't be able to drive. So no. yes, and that's everything's at her doorstep. She, you know, she can access all her, the doctor, the dentist, all by herself. And it's just that's made a huge improvement in her. Just getting around life. herself and yes. her independence, which is yes. very important. Mm. But like, I can't do. I, I can't read books anymore because I can't remember what's happening in them. Okay. I can read. Um, I can read comic or not well, comic books and graphic novels, but uh, superheroes get a bit, bore, a bit boring after a while. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> Obviously, this impinges on her, her capability to work and 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 take yes. up employment. But she has been back and studying, hasn't yes. she? Yes. What have you yes. done? I did a course uh, to be a special needs assistant to help out people with special needs or, or stuff like that. Yes, and I um, I did some voluntary work. Um, working with an older lady who has a acquired brain injury as well. Okay. And um, and we did really well. We did yes, great work. Absolutely. And she was able to write her own cards and mm. did some literacy classes. Yes. Yeah, did loads of literacy classes with her. Being in Navan now in the town, is yeah. that a great oh, help to you? Brilliant. Mm. It's brilliant. I hear you're very well known round town. Oh yeah, I'm like the Queen around <laughs> waving. <laughs> and she does the wave, folks. She's doing the actual one knows best. Royal wave here to me across the, <laughs> the desk here. Yes, but that's great that you can go about yourself, go where you want, very come yeah. home, all that type of thing. Yeah. Well, a brain injury is very isolating anyway, you know. So it's so if if people aren't some, you know, it, it can it can make. People People very introverted and, and embittered, whereas I think if you're like with Ashley, she only has to get up, walk out the door, and she's out and she's down the town. Yeah. She can go for a coffee. She and it, it's I think it, it, it's an enormous help. Mm. You do, you, I lost a lot of friends. Mm. I mean, like I had like thirty lo- loads of friends, and then I had three. Yeah, you really learn who your friends are. Mm. Like I remember when my friends came over to me, um, I was still in the wheelchair. She goes, "Hi, Ashling, how are you?" Like, well, I was fine. That's great. Trenchum went and said, So, how is she? Not deaf. I understand. <laughs> Addressing you in a manner that there was yeah. no need to. And you yeah. picked up on that immediately. Yes. You mentioned friends. 
this boyfriend of yours, how is he? He's great. He also has a brain injury. Has he? Yeah. So it's great. We went, we went to the cinema one day. We're like, that was a great film. Yeah, it was brilliant. What we go see? Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember. Just where they get on ground. Isn't her humour... Uh, Always wrong. Your humour is... Lost well, that. actually, yeah. I did another course I, uh, to be a stand-up comedian. Did you? And uh, the way we um, uh, graduated was we had to get up in Temple Bar. He had a place for us. And do our stand-up routine. And I was like, I'm going to die. I'm not going to be able to do this. And I thought, well, if you don't do it, you'll regret it. So I got up and I, 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 I walked with a limp. So I walked up to the stage without the cane and said, Hi guys, like he said, my name is Ashley Morris and don't worry, I'm not drunk. I always walk like this. Some people think it's because I have an accident. I do it because it makes me look cool. And everyone just, ha ah, You grand. broke the ice yeah. right away and you got into them. Yeah. So you did. But that's it, just to, to let people know, you do have the aid of a stick, but you she get ab- about quite independently. I can, well, yeah. well, my mum always said to me, you can use the stick, but you can't use it indoors. If I ever go to somebody's house, I leave the, the stick at the door. Yeah. And I just walk f- uh, without it. Because mm. mm. um, I don't want to be dependent on it. Yes, but yes. You just for outside for balance. I understand, safety. I understand. Yeah. Just back to what happened. The person who drove the car, you, you became close enough or, or, or you been in contact? Oh, absolutely. We yes. stay in touch. He was yeah. my 21st kiss on my 21st birthday. Was he? Yes, he was. Oh, my word. Mm. He's yeah. a lovely man. Yeah. And I see the, this thing can affect, it doesn't only affect the, the victim of the accident, it affects everybody that's involved. And yeah. As I always say, this man did not go out that day to, to run Ashling down. It was an accident, you know, and what used to annoy me was the first thing people say was, did he stop? Was mm. he drunk? The man never drank a drop in his life and absolutely he wasn't speeding. It was just circumstances. It was, as I say, a bad night. We don't. Ashling doesn't remember what happened. So, you know, it could have been a bad call on her point. It just, these things happen, mm. you know. You've made enormous progress, let me say. Will, will that continue or are you how well, you on? No, no, I'm, I'm, if I can't do something, I'll work with it. Yes. Well, I can't, one thing I can't do is um, I can't wear high heels. Yeah. It's brilliant. All my friends are like, oh, my feet are killing me. It's like, quite are grand. <laughs> <laughs> another thing, but another thing that, that um, I actually, incontinent at night, I have to wear nappies to bed. Now, that's that's a hard thing for people like your friends to think, oh, yes. that's, that's that's nice. Mm. So, but I listen, mean, that's part of oh, it. I mean, like, if you, if, you, if you have a problem with it, you just go and do it and it's the solution yeah. to something that you need and what the hell about exactly. it as well. Yeah. So you're a work in progress. Yep. Absolutely. I'm sure we all are. It's <laughs> very, very true. Hey, I think this one certainly has a career on the stage ahead of her. She has and humour, you can see that I have, as well. I have a good face for radio. Yeah. <laughs> hint, hint, nudge, yeah. nudge this Say afternoon. No anyway, look, I, I just wanted to bring you both in to have a chat on this very special week, National Road Safety Week, yeah. and to emphasise again the importance from a pedestrian point of view to light up. If you're out walking, if you're jogging on the road, if you're on a bicycle or whatever, you must be seen. And that, yes. look and also listen because he was coming around the corner I didn't see him yes so always listen out for, for traffic and as well and yeah. mobile phones the mobile oh, yeah. or and having mobile. your earphones yeah, in or out yeah. out with them be aware of what's happening yeah. around you yeah. do you know what you're a tonic I have to say that <laughs> a tonic you. to me this afternoon <laughs> to come in here and meet you on late lunch Ashling and Doreen Morris thank you both I really appreciate you coming right. here on this I'd very like, special and week. I'd like to thank you for, for taking us on so not that we at can, all we can just t- <laughs> save yes. to emphasise Absolutely. Safety on the road for pedestrians. Thank you again. Thanks very much. Take care. Bye.
The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. When I think about it, I have to say, this is probably my favourite day of the year. Yes, it's National Potato Day, folks. And what would we be in Ireland without this spudge? You can have your pasta and your rice. Yes, they're fantastic. But there's nothing like the old potato. And who else would join us on this day but the wonderful people from Meat Potatoes? I'm joined on the show today by Conor O'Malley, who's the farm manager and the marketing and communications manager. Jenny Mead, you're both very welcome to the show. Good to see you again at this time. Hi, Jerry. Hi. It's, uh, well, look, Conor, I have to start with you. I'll leave Jenny be there for a moment. The year in spuds. Let's look at 2018 in reflection. You know, memories are short, but the spring, coming in from last winter into the spring of this year, don't have to tell you, it was deplorably wet, wasn't it? Uh, what a year, Jerry! Uh, yeah, I suppose we started off with such a late, cold, wet spring. We were probably maybe three to four weeks getting getting going planting this season. Uh, so yeah, maybe where I suppose we would have hoped to have in the ground maybe early March for for earlies. It was mid to late April before we really got going. But then when we got going, we got going, and the weather played ball for a while into early May and mid May. Uh, weather conditions were quite good, and ground conditions improved well. Uh, and then it just stopped raining. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, and that and that posed its own challenges. Then, uh, God, we, the farmer and community—you can never be happy. I say that's too wet or too cold, is too warm, is too—is it ever right? Uh, rarely, no, <laughs> <laughs> rarely. But look at what can you do? You just have to soldier on yes. uh, where possible. We were irrigating crops to keep them going where mm. we where we had a good water supply. Uh, and actually, it's it's unreal how some some fields and some crops manage to cope quite well with yes. uh, with the conditions. Uh, uh, so look at yields will be back a bit but quality has remained pretty good and I suppose we're blessed in a way the way September has come this year as compared to last year where ground conditions have been excellent so we've been able to dig our, our earlies in really good order there's been a little bit of late growth to help boost yields so uh, facing in now to October to the main digging season I suppose we're, we're hopeful enough that we'll get through it in, mm. in, in, a, in a good way So in terms of varieties I take it Rooster is still king of the castle Rooster, Rooster is the number one. We're probably about two thirds, maybe seventy percent of what we grow would be rooster. Uh, we also grow a number of other whites as well. Uh, we grow queens, which uh, which are pretty much done and dusted at this stage. Yeah. Most of them have been sold into the market. We also grow some Maris Piper. I know a personal favourite of yours, Jerry. Yeah, I love uh, them. a super roasting potato. Uh, we have some Maritima, which we've been growing really well the last couple of years, which would be Piper esque, I suppose you would call them. Uh, and also some Cultra and Marquise. So we try and cover a, you have a, a wide good, number a of nice bases. spread there. But Rooster, we know it is. It, it is a great potato, the Rooster. Like, you know, it in every sense of the world. Lovely to eat, uh, you know, good cropper, etc. The summer, with this long, long dry spell, did that help when it came to blight? Uh, it did actually this is probably in my years growing potatoes the, the year with the least blight pressure there's no doubt about it there's been little or no blight around I see maybe the odd little pocket here and there only in the last couple of weeks but in general no it's been that's been one of the, the good the good uh, points about this dry hot summer mm. was that it was very little blight Now as regards harvesting how long will you harvest for will you take everything out of the ground this side of Christmas Oh please God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, hopefully, um, if if conditions uh, continue in the way they are now, ground conditions being so good, 
uh, yeah, a month to six weeks will do. Will do a lot. You'll of be what done. We have to do. Please God. Please God. So you'll store. Now, look, is that it? You'll store them then. As yeah, from from here on in, everything we're harvesting will be going into storage. So they'll be going in and brought down to a temperature of about three, three and a half degrees, a bit like your refrigerator at home. And once they're stored properly and and in the dark at that temperature, they'll store quite well right through the coming season and up until maybe August 2019. As far ahead as that. So, in other words, they'll keep well until you start digging again the early next exactly. year. Exactly. It's it's all about getting that continuity of supply. Mm. So, a year, an unprecedented year for you as the grower. A uh, challenging year, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's they been a come, challenge. They come once in a while. There's always challenges. Now, you grow a lot yourself. Do you have others growing for you? We do, yeah. But there would also be a, a team of growers. A, an awful lot of those growers will be based in the North East, actually. Mm. I think about 40% of all the potatoes grown in Ireland are grown in the North East. So it's a major boost to the local economy. But we'd also have growers as far away as Donegal and Wexford. Mm. So I think all in all, it takes about, around about 2,000 acres of potatoes per annum to keep the plant and meat potatoes company going for the for the season it's a lot of acres when you think about it it is, it is. anyway well done to you this year Jenny Mead it's so good to see you again welcome to the show this is nearly an annual appointment we have at this stage do you know when Connor does his business and harvests them right we buy potatoes in the shops you and you supply to many multiples and under many guises do you add value as well besides the you know just the, the potato itself Yeah, that's one thing that we have really been uh, focusing on is trying to create as many markets as possible and trying to use as much of the potato as possible. So we would have, you know, the 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 potatoes that we would send for what we call table potatoes to our retailers, Uh, and then we would have some potatoes that might be slightly out of spec. They could be a little bit too big. They could be a little bit too small. They might have a slight um, skin damage that doesn't affect their eatability whatsoever. and for those, we have um, been trying to add value to them. Uh, we've started a prepared foods division. So, you know, by peeling away the, the skin and, you know, producing a peeled potato or a chip, um, then, you know, you're kind of getting uh, getting better value out of a potato mm. that might not uh, have have uh, ended up uh, in, a, uh, in a bag in a retailer. So it's been brilliant. It's a division that has, um, we've got, you know, uh, it, it's increasing and we have a lot of happy customers in the food service and retail sector and consumers as well. We have a fresh chipped potato that is flying off the shelves in Iceland. Um, uh, they Iceland stores nationwide. Um, our fresh chipped potatoes don't actually have, um, you know, they're not spiced or there's not, you know, so you can make them as healthy or as unhealthy as you want. And Yourself. that's really appealing mm. to a mm. lot of consumers. I just laugh at what you're saying. This is our fault. <laughs> You know, the, the actual, the, the uh, model potato we have to have in the bags now of a certain look and shape and size. That's what the customer's looking for, is it? Well, I think what happens a lot of times is just that the consumers will leave behind the clear bags that they see, you know, that have, yeah. you know, that would have blemishes on them. They want yeah. to all get as, you know, as perfect a potato as mm. possible. So, you know, it's kind of consumer driven, but... Things are changing now. People are a lot more, you know, people are becoming a lot more aware of how we need to use as much of the crop as possible. Everything. Eat the wonky spuds. It makes no difference. It's the same thing on the inside. Never mind the looks. Beauty is skin deep. You know the saying yourself, folks. (laughs) Anyway, just remind us again, you are a huge employer, aren't you? 
We are. We have about 240 um, employees directly. Um, and then we would have, you know, obviously our team of growers. And then there's a lot of people that we would work with in other businesses who, you know, help us with equipment and tractors and everything. So there's a lot of indirect employment as mm. well. So, And you've had a mighty year. Can I congratulate you on the accolades? And I want to talk about two of them in particular. Fresh Produce Company of the Year. Yes, we uh, we were thrilled with that. It was really tough competition. Uh, this is in the Food and Drink Business Awards. Um, we received that award, which is a real testament to how hard all of our employees work and Connor and his team and, and uh, you know, the kind of the commitment to quality that we have. So that was brilliant. And then we also won the Sustainability Award. Um, we were the only company on the night to win two awards. So that yes. was a real... What, what is that about? Why were you recognised for that? Is that, you know, like you mentioned ago, using everything. That's exactly, I think, why we did. Because we were up against that. We were up against like dairy gold ingredients. We were up against, you know, fairly um, big companies that would have dedicated sustainability departments. Whereas with us, you know, we're, our sustainability committee is drawn from people from, you know, just from who have other jobs like myself. Um, but the sustainability is really all about trying to use the whole potato and trying to get as much value from it as possible. So in addition to kind of channeling the different potatoes to the to the best markets for them, whether that be, you know, table potatoes or for prepared foods. Um, we also work on byproducts and trying to kind of get the most out of, say, what we have left over after our peeling process. Um, so we have a couple of things in the pipeline on that front. And it's all that kind of work that we do along with, say, our, our waste prevention and the gleaning project we're working on. And all of that goes into, I think that all of that is why we, we uh, scooped the award this year. How do you like your spuds, folks? You're listening to us today talking about potatoes on National Potato Day. Tell us how you like them. How do you like to eat them or cook them? What's your favourite way? There's a hamper out the front there. I think we'll give a hamper, will we? Can we give a mead hamper to a listener today? Certainly. We have a beautiful mead hamper. It's packed with everything under the sun. Would you like to win it? All you have to do is tell me how you like your spuds cooked. And if you have a secret recipe... Mm, I'd love to hear about those as well. 086-1800-658. That's 086-1800-658 by text or WhatsApp now. And we'll have a look at them and we'll pick somebody for the hamper. Stay with us on late lunch because when I'm talking about spuds, 15 minutes won't do me. There's more to come. Stay with us on late lunch. National Potato Day. We're marking it on late lunch again this year with Conor O'Malley. He's the farm manager and marketing and communications manager with Mead Potatoes, Jenny Mead. They're both with me in studio. Jenny, just coming back to you, you had a special visit, I suppose, in the era of Brexit uh, from the uh, European Commission this year, yes? Yes, that was actually just uh, recently. We um, uh, were approached by a uh, focus group um, that ha- was appointed by the European Commission. It's actually um, was headed by a, uh, a fellow from UCD uh, School of Bioengineering and Food Biosystems and Food Engineering. There That's we go. some title. <laughs> That's a title. It's a super project. Um, Shane Doyle and he, Professor Shane Doyle, and he was leading a um, 
leading a a group of 25 researchers who are just looking to see, you know, ways to maximise, you know, uh, the food uh, and crops, you know, within the European Union, because it it is on everybody's mind, Mm. really, you know, just about improving. But isn't that great that you're a go-to for, you know what I mean, a visit like this? it was great. Yeah, they saw us as a, um, I think it was an excellent example of best practice in terms of how we channel our food and make the most of our crops. Really, a hats off to to mead potatoes again. Um, What's gleaning? So gleaning is um, gleaning's actually was is in the Bible no less than I think seventeen times it's referenced and it refers to uh, God is addressing I think it's Moses and Leviticus and he is saying don't harvest to the very corners of your fields and don't harvest everything leave some of your crops for the needy and the stranger so it's just this idea that people that have a, you know bountiful crops that they leave some behind to help those people in need and okay. it's been around for a long time and has happened. And this is part of your ethos. Well, so the the gleaning actually came about, we were approached by Food Cloud, a community food Mm -hmm. bank who we've done a lot of different projects with and we help them with some of our our surplus food. Um, And they approached us because they are trying to establish a gleaning network and they asked us if we would come on board to kind of, you know, find a a workable model for that. So we've been working on that. Well done to you on that one as well. A little birdie tells me there could be a big announcement by Meads for 2019. There's something different and special on the horizon. Do you care to tell me? Well, I will say just that in our pursuit of, you know, using the whole of the potato and getting uh, as much value as possible out of our crops, we are also, uh, we do produce some starch and we are, uh, have just purchased a distillery. So watch this space. Okay, so interesting time times ahead and they're diversifying again we'll hear about that yes. I'm sure more when it happens back to you Connor and you mentioned the harvest next six weeks or so you should be done and dusted but there's no rest for the spud man is it it's all is there it's all year round are you planning for next year already Absolutely, yeah. Like uh, at this stage, probably uh, a good portion of our land will be sourced already for next year, and we're always on the lookout for for any good quality ground. So, any landowners out there who'd uh, who'd like to set their ground for potatoes, uh, just give us a call. But uh, yeah, from from sourcing land and sourcing quality seed and all the inputs required for the coming season, yeah, there's never a dull moment. Where do you source your seed potato from? I take it you don't keep from your own crop. We would keep a small amount of uh, farm. We we would call a farm save seed from. Our own crop, but the majority would be uh, fully certified seed bought in from either uh, coming from Irish sources or from generally the UK, mainly uh, mm. Scotland. Do you sprout like the amateur gardener? You know, at Christmas, I'm actually putting my spuds in chits in Christmas in the window of a, a room with a little bit of heat to get the, the sprouts going. We would always uh, sprout a certain, like a, sp- a small portion of seed each year for the, for the, for our early crop, just to get them away that week or two earlier. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Are potatoes hungry feeders? Do they need a lot in the ground, you know, in terms of food, minerals from the soil, a little they dig do, along they with? They do. They always require a good element of nutrition and we'd always uh, soil sample... Uh, fields before planting our crops just to, just to know exactly what they require but yeah they would probably require a large amount of potash a good bit of potassium mm. as well and a lot of other trace elements like magnesium zinc boron so you're always trying to uh, just feed them along and keep a good eye on them to, to make sure and they get Jenny the point to make here is we, we mentioned pasta and rice but the potato it's full of nutrition and goodness isn't it it is it actually uh, if you were to have um 
if you were to have, I think it's just a you know a good sized potato. Uh, it has thirty three percent of your vitamin C requirements, and you're not going to be getting that from rice or pasta. You know, it does. It has loads of potassium. Um, it's got great V um, B vitamins as well. It's just full of nutrition. Mm. And the big thing about potatoes that a lot of people I I think don't realize who are kind of you know afraid of carbohydrates or whatever is just that potatoes would have so much fiber in them that we your body needs, and it keeps you full longer. So you're not going to be looking for you know more food after a potato the way you would necessarily yes. with. I, I want to tell listeners as well, check out the Mead Potato Company website because there's lots going on there and Instagram comp- competitions and social media stuff, isn't there? Into this weekend. There is, yes. Uh, we have a great Instagram uh, competition on on our Instagram uh, page and uh, yeah, and there's recipes on our website and there's also recipes on potato.ie um, which is... Yes, uh, you've, you've actually showed me these here and they make very interesting reading Chinese chicken and potato store fry, Bombay potato frittata with tomato chutney own salivating here already and more besides some lovely recipes for yeah. potatoes in there as well. It's all about trying to uh, to get a uh, people realising that, you know, potatoes are not just, it's not just meat and mashed potatoes mm. or meat and roasties, that if you, uh, you know, that they're a really versatile ingredient and you can cook them quickly, you can make them ethnic, you can, you know, you can do loads of stuff with them. Connor, just one thing crossed my mind there uh, about uh, you, uh, when you said, you know, there's somebody out there with land that would like to talk to us. I'm sure land that's been fallow or not tilled for a number of years is uh, the dream scenario for spuds. Yeah, fresh virgin ground. Uh, you can't beat it. And actually, on a year like this year, in a summer like 2018, that was the kind of ground that probably that probably held best in the underneath the the, the drought pressure. Yeah, that that kind of fallow virgin ground really held up well. Yeah. Can I read some of the uh, suggestions we're getting here for how late lunch listeners love their spuds? Here's an example. They're flying into us and I'll, I'll try and get to them all before the end of the show. Um, Pat Arnold says, I like me spuds with loads of butter. Uh, who doesn't, Pat? Who doesn't? I love roasted potatoes wrapped in tin foil, put in uh, the cinders of the fire. I'm licking me lips. Oh, I know what you're talking about. You throw them actually into the fire itself mm. in the foil. Oh, you bet. Absolutely. Absolutely lovely, Tricia. I love my spuds mashed. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
are roasted, says Ruth French from Smarmore and RD. Kathleen Black loves the Slimming World chips. Roosters uh, roasted in coconut oil with sea salt and rosemary, says Derek and Trim. Holy God, we've a plethora of spud chefs in the northeast. They know their spuds. The Golden Wonder Spud. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Hard to get. Please grow more is the appeal <laughs> to me. Okay, we'll bear that in the mind. The small yielders, the Golden Wonder. I yeah. know that. And so on and so on they go. We'll pick someone for the hamper before the end of the show. Delighted you could join me on National Potato Day. Continued success to Mead. You're doing a great job there. And we'll make a date again, will we? For at least this time next year. Maybe not, if not before, Jenny, with Maybe, that special yes. announcement. Uh, please as well. But for the moment, Conor O'Malley, good luck to you with the harvest and beyond. Thanks, Jerry. And Jenny Mead, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you, Jerry. Cheers. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. We've come to the beautiful Waterstones bookstore in Scotch Hall Shopping Centre in Drogheda. I absolutely love this place. I'm joined by Blake Boland, who works here in this wonderful place. It must be a dream job. You might tell our listeners why we're here this morning, Blake. It is fantastic, and thanks a lot for coming down, Jerry. Today we've welcomed Rod Smith to the shop. Um, he was uh, born in Drogheda, went to school here, uh, lives just outside the town now, and he is uh, he's a writer who does a lot of children's books, a uh, mixture of non-fiction and fiction, and he's just launched a new book on, quite interestingly, if you're from Drogheda, uh, Cromwell himself, and we're down here today welcoming uh, one class from sixth class from Colin National School, and uh, Rod is having great fun with the kids there at the moment. There's questions, answers, the kids are coming up with stories and we're really just learning a little bit more about the man behind the legend of Cromwell and the different ways of looking at that man depending where you're from and your own aspect on history. Very interesting so far. Yes, and we're going to talk to Rod shortly and uh, the students who are here from Cullen National School as well. How important is it, because I know you have a lovely section here designated for children in Waterstones, but to bring children of this age who, you know, today have smart technology all around them, how important is it to get them reading and uh, staying in touch with the traditional book? It's so important. I mean, I even see it for my own children as well, just in terms of communication. Um, Getting the physical book in their hands so they're not staring at the blue screen all day. and it, it just helps them bring them on so much in terms of spelling, just their communication with other people. And it's fantastic to have them here in the shop to get used to a bookshop and not just be doing this online, to come down, support their shops. And we have a fantastic area here uh, with the kids section. And it's actually quite a large section when you compare it to a normal bookshop because Drada is such a young and vibrant town now, especially when you look on the outskirts, the likes of how Betty's Town and Mornington is coming on. There's a lot of young families. And to get them in with a book in their hand from the ages of three, we, we even have story time for kids here on a Saturday afternoon and we've three-year-olds sitting up you know listening to stories and that just helps them develop they get used to having a book in their hand and, and hopefully that that carries them through for the rest of their life really you are the hub for books in this the largest town in Ireland we have to support Waterstones and this local bookshop because without it we would be a lesser people I really mean that and it's a wonderful resource and I might be old school here but my god the day will never go that we don't have the book in our hand I want to just say that thank you so much for hosting us here today we really appreciate it and we're going to go now and listen to Rod and have a chat with the young students from Cullen National School Cromwell was responsible for Charles I losing his head so he's the first king in history to actually be smaller when he died, then he was actually king. And that was because of Oliver Cromwell, the Lord Protector of England. 
no pressure. So did you know that fact? No. He did kill loads of innocent people, but he actually, there were a few different armies going around the country at the time, and Cromwell, uh, Cromwell had a rule, and he stuck to it. He said, if you surrender, I promise that nobody will be injured or killed, and I'll let you all flee safely. However, if you take me on and fight me, I will show you no mercy. And unfortunately, what happened in Dublin, uh, sorry, in Drogheda, uh, when he came, he came to, he broke into a wall just at St. Mary's Church, which is just at the back here over the wall. And he broke through with his soldiers and they created a huge hole. At that stage, Cromwell had lost about 2,000 soldiers. So he was extremely angry at what had happened. And the commander of Drogheda was a chap called Aston. And Aston had a wooden leg. Does anybody know what happened to Aston and his wooden leg? They took it off him. The rumour went around that he had gold and jewels in his leg, so they whopped it off him and they battered him to death with his own wooden leg, the poor fella. Now, Aston was English, and a lot of the soldiers who died in Drogheda at the time were actually English. They weren't Irish soldiers, and they had only come into the town um, within the, the previous couple of months. So a lot of people in Drogheda didn't really want to be taken on Cromwell at the time. So when Cromwell came in, he was so angry... And the red mist had descended that he basically said, show no mercy. Anybody you see, you kill them. So soldiers were killed. Priests were bashed over the head with hammers. Uh, in St. Peter's Church, they trapped people in St. Peter's Church and they burnt the church then. So it was quite ruthless. And even Cromwell himself admitted unofficially afterwards that maybe things had gone out of control a bit on that. And it wasn't supposed to happen that way. But it did. Book. So is anyone, any questions they'd like to ask me for a change? Yes. Hold on, there's a man, don't ask it yet, like a down to you with the microphone. Go on. How long did it take you to write the book? It took me about ten months. And the reason it took so long was it's the research. I've written about six or seven history books now, and I won the books earlier on, I got one fact wrong, got one fact wrong in one book, and I said I will never, ever do that again. And what I do now is I research, 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 research. So with the Cromwell, I read as much material as I could. I got in touch with English prof- with professors in England who teach history to ask them their opinion about Cromwell as well. And I got uh, opinions and views back from them. So that took about six months uh, of research. And as I was doing that, I was starting to write the book as well. So really uh, about the guts of, of nine months and then probably another month or two then to revise it then with my editor, Gay. Did you enjoy learning about Oliver Cromwell as a child? As a child, I thought he was the greatest devil in Irish history that we ever came across. As I was doing the research for this, I came upon a completely different character. He had a large family. He loved his family. He, uh, he lost. Uh, some children died when they were quite young and he was actually he was quite devastated by it. He was a farmer who was thrust into the world of politics at the time, uh, really against his choice. He had a very dark and ruthless side to him, but he had a very gentle side to him as well. So I think there were, there's two sides to him definitely in this one. How long did it take you to make your first book? Ah, my first book was Get Out and Play GAA, and that, was, uh, that took about six months. And that all came about with a chance conversation I had with my publisher in a, outside the schoolyard. We were talking about kids not playing sports and oh, would he write a book about children that don't play sports? And I was a bit cheeky, and I knew Paula through her son and my son. And I said, oh, I could, can I have a go at writing that? And Paula looked at me and went, you're joking, aren't you? And I said, no, give me, uh, give me two weeks to, to put together a draft. So I put together something, and Paula looked at it and said, yeah, I think we'll give you a shot. And I completed the story, and I sent it on to our editor, Gay Shortland, who lives in Cork, and I thought, this is the best book ever printed today. No changes required. Let's get it out into the shops. 
Gay came back to me with six pages of corrections that I had to do in the book. All these things that didn't make sense, all these things that weren't interesting jumbled up. And it was a huge lesson to me as well because uh, the, the cockiness and arrogance that I had uh, at the time, uh, as you go through, you don't realise until you're actually uh, writing a book to be published the amount of work that you have to go into reworking something and making sure. Because if you can't understand the story or if you don't enjoy, enjoy the story, there's really no point to writing it in the first place. Uh, how long would it take you to get a book published? Good question. A book published. So um, each year or every few months, I'll sit down with my publisher, Paula. I have to be careful because Paula's in the audience here, so to make sure I'm not misquoting anything that Paula says. And we'll sit down and we'll draw up a list of books for the next year or so. So, for example, the book at the moment, I'm working on a book on the First World War. And Paula and I would have discussed that maybe earlier this year as I was just finishing up the Cromwell one. So I'll know six, <coughs> excuse me, six to 12 months in advance what I'm writing. Where did you get the idea to write a book about Oliver Cromwell? The idea to write about Cromwell, we actually went around some of the schools and asked teachers, what kind of topics in history um, are you talking to your kids about? And one of the ones that jumped out was Cromwell. And at the time we thought, this is going to be very black and white. You know, there's only one side to Cromwell. This will be done very easily. And, and again, the more you find out about him, the more you, you realise, actually, hang on a second, there's more to this guy than meets the eye. How many books have you published as an author? How many books? Uh, I think it's 10 at the moment, and I have two, two of those in Irish, so I suppose officially it's 12. Uh, what inspired you to write this book? It, it was a character in history I was always fascinated with, interested with, but the challenge for me was how was I going to make a story about Cromwell interesting to kids of 10, 11, 12, because that's always the challenge, trying to write something in history that kids will actually get past the first page. So hopefully I've succeeded in that. Were you always interested in history and English in school? I loved history and English, and I used to have a great teacher, uh, Brother Hamill, who used to teach me uh, history in St. Joseph's, and he had a, a great saying, if he didn't understand something he said, he'd always say to you, I didn't catch your drift, Mr. Smith, snow again. And that was his way of saying, repeat that to me again. So he always made history very interesting, and I think that's where I got my love of history as well. Oh, and my English from my English teacher, Mr. Gillen, as well, who was hugely inspirational to me as well in St. Joseph's. What age were you when your first book was published? What age was I? Um, suffice to say, I was over 40 uh, and under 50 when my book, first book was published. A latecomer, but a brilliant latecomer. Yes. Why do you love writing and reading books? When I was four, five, six, I was always reading and reading and reading and reading and reading. And as I got to the age of seven, eight and nine, I always thought, oh, maybe I'd like to write something myself. So I always used to have notebooks and I'd write down. I have tons of notebooks at home with ideas for stories and I'd always write these ideas down and over the years I never ever thought I'd actually be publishing a book and it was just again a chance meeting with Paula so I'm a very 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 lucky person lots of people out there are writing books not getting published because it's very difficult Uh, particularly in the age of technology where you're all way too busy on your tablets and on Snapchat now to, to read books but it's important to keep reading books as well because there's a whole new world in there that you can discover Neve O'Brien from 6th class in Cullen National School was given the job of reading the Oliver Cromwell book for all of the class, so it was a very important role. What did you make of the book, Neve? Uh, I loved it. Um, my, certainly my favourite uh, chapter would have to be the last two. 
Um, my favourite character would be Aoife because she helped Liam through everything. Uh, she wasn't going any. She uh, was following Liam any, everywhere he went. He was. She wasn't giving him any space. And then it's when she was, or when uh, Liam was sick with malaria, she um, was beside him all the time, helping him feel better. And then um, the story. Uh, I liked the. I liked the way it was history and it was also fiction. So then, uh, then Cromwell would be. The, the baddie in it, but also when uh, they were when he was in the St Peter's Church burning it down, I liked the way he let Aoife and Liam go, so um, she, he didn't kill them or whatever. And then, uh, especially when uh, they met Seamus and uh, Philem, I got into the book even more because they were they started sailing everywhere, and then Ferdy I w- would always come to the rescue when they were in trouble. So you love this book from start to finish, but why the last two chapters in particular? Um, just because uh, Aoife was telling him all the time, uh, go for it, because uh, through the book he'd always seen a glimpse of light, and he was, she was saying, uh, go for it, you mightn't have a chance, you might stay here forever. And then uh, when he went into the... when he. Uh, when he jumped onto the stair at the glimpse of light, um, he was he was brought back to um, the present day, and then he, uh, he was in the hospital. So uh, then they he fa- found out like why he was thinking of the, the characters' names because they were all related to um, people that were like around him while he was in the coma. Yeah, because the thing is, this book goes from the present right back to Cromwell's time and back again, and he gets back here in the end. Did you know about Cromwell, much about him, before you read this book? Um, Not very much. I I heard about him before, and that that he came to Ireland to try and, like, attack it, but I hadn't really heard that much about it. So, you'd give this, if you had, you know the way books are rated on five stars, how many stars would you give this book? A million. Oh, a million! Oh, my God, that is some recommendation. <laughs> Neve, thank you very much for uh, giving us your review of the Cromwell book here today. Thanks a million. Uh, no problem. Bye. Well, 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 we have a link to LMFM here this morning. Neve Winters is here with the class, sixth class from Cullen National School. Neve, great to see you again. And thank you so much for uh, giving us a few words. What about this, what, what we're doing here today? You got involved straight away from Cullen National School. Why? Well, it was a great idea when we were approached about it first, I suppose, to get children involved in any kind of reading and review of books. It's fantastic. And then understanding the local connection with Cromwell and Drogheda. Even the children got on board straight away when they were hearing the local street names like Scarlet Street and Merchant Quay and the docks being mentioned. They were excited and asking, where, oh, where is that street? Or I don't understand and getting Google images up and looking for the different street names. So we were delighted when um, Mags Madden approached us to do uh, come, come to the book launch. We only had a week to read the book. Some really good girls took it on board to read it and presented it to the class rather than the whole class trying to read through it. And we really enjoyed the few afternoons discussing it all. And we've just been listening to them there throwing the questions at Rod. My God, they are well briefed and they're curious, aren't they? So curious. I think that's the most fantastic thing about working with 11 and 12 year olds. You give them an inch and they just take it and their imagination goes with it and the curiosity comes out and the different facts they've heard, I suppose, through the different years in primary school and listen to their parents at home and even things they are seeing on social media, the good things now, that's making their mind more curious and asking more questions. From a teacher's perspective in the, in the digital age, 
is the book still relevant? The book you take in your hand, the hard copy to read? It's certainly difficult, in my opinion. It's it's so relevant, but it's difficult to promote. It's difficult to encourage. There's five or six children who will always want to read and always want to write and will take 10, 15 books into a corner and stay there. I know my own nephew's only six or seven and he asked for a Kindle for his first communion and reads five, six books a week. But then, of course the games and the social media sites do take over and their time gets taken up by that but I suppose all we can do from a school's point of view is encourage, encourage, encourage and open the world of reading to them and the imaginative side and the imagery from that. Well today is a case in point when you see them there you've nominated somebody to read the book but they're all well familiar with it through uh, the wee girl you've picked there and look at them, I just see them here, Rod is still talking away there to to them, they're engrossed and that comes from the book itself. I was just uh, commenting that they're the most enthusiastic I've ever seen them which is brilliant to see, all the hands are up 26 of the 26 hands up they all last night prepared in really interesting and challenging questions for Rod not just about the book but his career as an author, what inspired him to do that and even the history links as well so it's it's from a teacher's point of view it's brilliant to see the interest and the enthusiasm from them and hopefully it will encourage them to go and read more books and you mentioned margaret madden there a moment ago our late lunch book reviewer as well and we send her good wishes today she's a little under the weather yes of course we do we're all thinking of her from Cullen national school and she's been i've been lucky enough to teach all of uh, margaret's kids over the years and she's a great parent and a great communication link to have She is indeed, and uh, we look forward to having her back on Late Lunch on LMFM shortly. And again, thanks to Margaret, she put this whole uh, initiative on foot, and we thank her sincerely for today. Neve Winters, thanks a million. Thanks so much, Sherry. Thanks for having us all. Thank you. Rod Smith, we've just uh, come to the end of a a lovely hour here in Waterstones in Drogheda. What does something like this mean to you? I think it kind of uh, when you see the faces, it's it's one thing being stuck in a room when you're writing a book and putting things on paper. I think it's only when you're in a room with children talking about books, characters, and creative things that it all. I think it kind of makes it all really worthwhile. I would do this for all the time if I could, uh, but unfortunately, it's uh, it doesn't pay the bills. But I'll tell you what, you go off now. I'll go off on the buzz now for the rest of the week after having this because they're a fantastic bunch of kids. They really weren't like. they great because they do know the book inside out and what intelligent questions they had for you. They did, and they caught me in a couple of questions, and I had fair play to them. But they're great because, particularly at that age now, eleven to twelve is at an age where kids maybe turn away from books as well and move away. And with the the challenges of technology and snapchat and all these things to see them actually still reading and being interested in books and reading is fantastic as a drahada man or you know as a drahada man and gone to school in drahada Cromwell close to your heart he was at the time he was always growing up he was always discouraged at drahada and my mother would always oh that blackguard who would always give me richard harris was in a movie about Cromwell, and she was always said how did rich harris ever agree to play Cromwell, knowing what a blackguard he was and uh, Definitely growing up, the, the, the stories we were told in school was he was a very, very dark character. But what came across during the research was he was a very dark character, but he had some good moments as well in Irish history. Yeah, and you've captured that in the book. Neve, who was the special reader of your book from the class, when I said to her a moment ago there, you haven't heard this, but I'll tell you, I said, uh, you know, you give a book a five-star review or down to whatever, starting at five, what would you give it? She gave it... A million stars. Oh, thank you very much, Neve. I'll have to get you as my PR consultant, I think, when you're older. That's great to hear. It is. It is. You've done a great job with the book, and it's been so warmly received. Congratulations again. So, look, everybody from Cullen National School, sixth class, did you enjoy your morning? Yes. What did you think of Rod? Can we have a big round of applause for him?
Thank you very much indeed to all of you who came here this morning. I asked some wonderful questions of the author. Thanks to Neve and your teachers from Cullen National School as well and to all the crew here in uh, Waterstones. It's a wonderful, wonderful place. It really is. We feel so at home here, honestly. And what a resource this is for Drogheda and the North East. And again, to you, Rod, and your publisher as well, Paula Campbell. Thank you, Paula, for taking Rod Smith to us here today. Are you feeling a little bit peckish? Would anyone like an ice cream? Yes. Do you know there's a place up the road here, just a few hundred yards, storming the teacup. Will we head there? Yes. I think they deserve an ice cream, I do they, Rod? I think they do. I think they do. Well Thanks a million, everybody. Big cheer before we go. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. Staying with sport, I want to give a big feckin' shout-out to Emma Dunn and all the St. Feckin's ladies' team who are heading to Kildare this Sunday to compete in the first round of the Leinster Championship against Kilcullen. Come on, the feckins. Final cast of a line coming up locally for anglers. Uh, Drogheda Anglers are organising an introduction to course fishing tomorrow, Saturday, the 6th of October at Rose Hall Reservoir with Kevin Flanagan. It's from 2 to 5. Everybody welcome and gear will be supplied. So if we want to get into angling, or fishing Rose Hall on the north side of Drogheda is the place to be tomorrow and then on Sunday uh, Barnatton and Killinear Reservoirs are the venue for the Sean Murray Memorial Cup meet 9.45 fishing from 10 till half 12 and the presentation of the Cup and Angler of the Year awards will happen at Barnatton Reservoir at 1 o'clock with a barbecue to follow that's Drogheda and District Anglers a lot going on in course and game this very weekend we've got loads of messages about your spuds how you love them done boiled and mashed with little milk and butter and peppers is Anne Mackin uh, steamed with salt and pepper nice bit of butter says somebody else a jacket potato Margaret Dillon Mary Barnes loves them boiled and mashed with buttermilk salt black pepper and a little onion in there as well and so on and so on they go the hamper however is going today to Jennifer Seary who sent us a message I love my spuds boiled with beans mashed with beans baked with beans and chipped with beans <laughs> You could do it a few spuds, couldn't you, Jennifer? Well done to you. The hamper is yours. Thanks to everybody who sent us messages about their spuds and how they like them cooked. Uh, now, uh, another message there I want to read from Michelle Howard. Thanks, Michelle. Hi, Jerry. Have a great time at Kylie. I can't wait. Sunday night, she's in the three arena. Oh, my God. What'll I be like on Monday here? Uh, you deserve it. On a more serious note, uh, Michelle wants to congratulate LMFM Radio and yourself on uh, the week about road safety. Your cross to bear is so emotional, Jerry. You do the interviews with such compassion and empathy. Really think people will be more careful after listening to you and everybody on LMFM during the week. Well done to you and your colleagues and best wishes. Thank you indeed for that lovely message, Michelle. And remember our first guest today, Ashling, wasn't she brilliant? Ashling Morris here with our mum, Doreen. And there were many messages, but one of them, just to sum up what people were saying, what a great inspiration to hear Ashling's story. We want to wish her the very best and to our mum for the future. And so on and so on they go. It's the final feature this week. Every road has a cross to bear. It's coming up after the break. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, the Renault Dealer of the Year and most Google-reviewed dealership in Ireland. For award-winning customer service you can trust, visit us today. Blackstone Motors, drive with peace of mind. 041 983 
Gardaí have confirmed that a 15-year-old girl has been killed in a road crash in County Louth. Sharon Gregory was struck by a car on the Drogheda Termanfecan Road as she walked home from midnight mass. The teenager was killed just metres from her home in College Rise. Yes, it's the final in our series, this road safety week of Every Road Has a Cross to Bear. And this evening I'm in Drogheda and I'm on the Drogheda Termanfecan Road not far out from town at all. People would know it. It's Newfound Well, and we're at the entrance to College Rise. And we stand here beside a plaque on the wall, and it says, In loving memory of Sharon Gregory, who died Christmas Day, December 25th, 1994, following an accident. She was aged 15 and a half years, rest in peace. And I'm joined today by her brother, Anthony. Anthony, thank you very much for joining us here I'm sure it's not easy for you to stand here in this spot where your sister lost her life. Can you take me back to Christmas Eve 1994 and the events that transpired? Hi, Jerry. Um, well, going all the way back uh, was midnight mass that both my mum and dad sang in the Franciscan church and the family were all present, um, as we always like to go as a family. And uh, Sharon and uh, my elder sister Lisa then uh, were walking home with their friends that night, uh, following the show, etc., and getting into the uh, spirit of Christmas, so to speak. So, Coming home from Mass, you expect on Christmas Eve presents to be opened, the joy of Christmas. And your two sisters pause here, is it, at the entrance to College Rise? Lisa, my elder sister, uh, has a family friend and uh, he pulled in just to wish happy Christmas, etc. And that's unfortunately where tragedy unfolded and uh, a car coming with no lights on and, and that's where Sharon was killed. Where was the car coming from? Into Drogheda or out of the town? It was, it was coming out towards uh, the Termanfecan Road and obviously hit the wall in behind here, Jerry. So. And she was standing there and she was killed instantly, was she? Instantly, yeah. Absolutely. And... That person was drunk. Unfortunately, yes, it was uh, a person who was drink driving um, on the night in question. So, do you remember the moments or the immediate aftermath? Your own recollections of what happened? I do, and uh, it's a, a pain I'll carry for the rest of my life, as the same as the rest of my family. Very, very upsetting and traumatic time, as you can imagine, Jerry. Um, coming to the road to see your sister laid on the road. The perpetual torment, really, for the family thereafter. So, It never, ever eases, Anthony. I would class it as an omnipresent, uh, something uh, ubiquitous, something that you're never, never going to, um, it's never going to leave you. The adage of uh, uh, time heals all wounds is not true in a situation like this it's just uh, something that you have to try and manage and handle as best you can and you can probably understand there wouldn't have been much of a Christmas for a long time thereafter um, so it was kind of um, a period of melancholy really for the family uh, for the guts of a decade and, and beyond that so so yeah tough tough times Christmas day you know life is lost on the roads in Ireland every day and it's the reason why we're carrying these features this week on Road Safety Week 2018 but Christmas Day and that uh, added to the torment of it and obviously with with the birth of Jesus and everybody uh, all families enjoying themselves and uh, getting the spirit and the festive uh, spirit and enjoying enjoying uh, life uh, unfortunately that wasn't for, for ourselves the Gregory family didn't, uh, didn't have to stand still in a lot of ways and it was kind of a very numbing and uh, traumatic period of time and remains traumatic for the family to this day. So. 
no more Christmases for quite a number of years and every Christmas day marked by recollections of what happened here. She was only 15 and a half. Yeah, she had a whole life life ahead of her, Jerry, and um, Sharon would just fill any room full of laughter. Vivacious, effervescent, um, just the life and soul of the party. Like She just was an unbelievable, an unbelievable person. And even taking out of the equation that the fact that she was my sister, I could say that because of met so many friends down through the years and you're talking over 20 years now um, that she has lit their lives up it resonates with them to this day and what she meant to them and that does warm your heart quite a bit to know that she left such a very positive legacy you mentioned Christmas has been difficult her birthday every year that comes and goes is that a very tough time for you? It's a very, very tough time um, because you just think of the different milestones. You think of 21st, 25th, 30th, etc. Um, all these milestones are are kind of, uh, I used the word earlier on, melancholic. And um, it, it's that, but it's it's uh, really an abyss of pain, really, to be completely frank. It's it's uh, it's tough to, to sometimes um, take stock of it all, really, to be completely honest. Do you think of what might have been, what she might have been, what life might have brought her and the cruelty of her being taken away in an instant? Absolutely. Uh, I think of it all the time. All the way back from uh, Sharon doing her leaving certificate or would have done her leaving certificate to what would she have done? Would she have went to college? Would she have married? Would she have had her own children? Um, All of those things. I mentioned earlier perpetual torment and... Uh, that is how I would kind of uh, summarise it and, and, and uh, put it into in, into um, into words. Yeah. The family, ever since yourself, your siblings, your mum, your dad, life's never been the same, has it? No, no, ne- never the same. Um, the fact being Christmas Eve, midnight mass, um, all the branches to the tree, and, and the, this trauma, trauma of um, obviously amplified the whole situation and uh, made it worse if you could make such a trauma worse I would say yes having been in the cold face that obviously being Christmas and uh, a time where uh, the spirit of Christmas is uh, where families come together it's a very very difficult time for us and um, obviously hard to fathom and hard to, to kind of have any 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 kind of um, period of, of respite or period of, of taking things under any type of consideration so it's tough tough times we stand here we can hear the traffic in the background it's a very busy road here but the irony is that you're rising up here the road is rising up as as it leaves drawed out towards term and fecken and close to town she was only what 200 meters from her home you don't expect your life to be ended no no unfortunately unfortunately how things unfolded sharon was taken long long before her time and um Nobody could obviously foresee such a tragic event. And it's very, very difficult to contextualise or put it into any kind of words. Even all these years later, it's hard to fathom and hard to to, uh, to accept, really, if I'm being honest. When, when you think of what happened here and, you know, the messages that go out all the time ever since about never, ever drink and drive, do you think that message has come home all these years later uh, in some ways yes but then you see things like the Healy Rays and stuff like that on television and uh, you kind of bang your head a little bit off the wall when you see people trying to push for, for uh, allowing people to, to drink and drive so um, I would say statistically I don't have statistics in front of me it obviously looks like it's a better state of play Jerry in that regard um, but obviously you can always do that a little bit better I would say mm. 
and it's one of the messages of this week never ever drink and drive because in an instant look what can happen you recalled her there for us a few moments ago beautifully I must say how she was what type of a girl she was what type of a person absolutely um, I talk to my children all the time about her memory and I can see little character traits in, in, the, in my children from Sharon as well um, which is a nice thing to, to be able to to hold in my heart um, but Sharon's Sharon's fire in our heart Sharon's fire that lit all our lives will never be extinguished she's uh, as I mentioned earlier on somebody who's touched so many different people resonate with so many people all these years later um, all the people that I chat to still regale the many great stories I've been in school with Sharon and how she was able to make them laugh and um, just her disposition in life was always a happy one with a happy-go-lucky type of person and uh, uh, and just bubbly and, and um, just a real loss uh, for the family, friends and will never ever be forgotten, ever. We remember Sharon Gregory here today and the very spot where she lost her life on the Drogheda Chairman Feckin Road. Have you any final message on this road safety week? I would just say uh, for people to be conscious that uh, what one, one uh, mistake could lead to uh, perpetual tragedy and torment for families. Um, so I would ask people to think twice before they get in the car with any drink or um, to just consider the impact it can have on families uh, thereafter. Anthony, thank you so much for joining me here today. I know it's not been easy for you to do this for us, but we really do appreciate it on this very special week. And again, we remember your lovely sister Sharon Gregory as we stand by this little plaque on the wall here at the entrance to College Rise in Drogheda. Thank you very much, Anthony. No problem, and I'll just say it's good to put a spotlight on it and credit to yourselves for for doing this uh, feature. So well done to LMFM. Thank you very much indeed, Anthony Gregory. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks, Sherry. On Road Safety Week 2018 and every week, slow down, concentrate, never ever drink and drive, be courteous to other road users and remember, every road has a cross to bear. Yes, every road has a cross to bear. Concluding our series on late lunch on this Road Safety Week 2018, I want to say a sincere thank you to Judy Coffey and her family, to Michael O'Neill, his family and the Wogan families, to Nina Brown and her family, to Jerry and Helena O'Connor and to Anthony Gregory there and his family who were able in some way to draw strength and meet me at the spot where their loved ones lost their lives and to talk about it all these years later. And today on Late Lunch, to conclude the week, we remember Pori Coffey, Fiona O'Neill and Dominic Wogan, Sarah Brown and Jeanette Burke, Sharon Gregory and Patrick O'Connor, who all lost their lives on our roads. Please take heed when you sit behind the wheel of a car going forward. Think, slow down. The message is simple. We just want to end this carnage on our roads. And another life lost is a terrible tragedy for any family. But we remember all who lost their lives on our roads in Ireland. And pray for everybody going forward. That's it on Late Lunch for another week. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Take care on the roads and whatever you do this weekend. And be safe and join us for another week of Late Lunch from Monday at half one. 
The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.